Okay. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The War Room, a podcast where we talk to founders and executives of successful companies about their oh shit moment uh, crisis that they went through in the management of their company and how they got over them and continued running their company. And today we have Sarah Moskop from Winnie. Hey, Sarah. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Very good. So really, really cool that you uh, join us today. Our companies are sister companies in the homebrew portfolio, among others. Um, this is our first time talking. Yes. Yeah, I do feel like I am like brothers and sisters with anyone who shares an investor with me. That is how I refer to them. Yeah, it's uh, we definitely, you know, takes a village. Not our parents, but not homebrew. They're awesome. <laughs> no, they're great. They really are great. Um, so you joined us today to talk about your company and about kind of a, a crisis that you went through and how you guys are doing today and kind of because because Winnie's been around for several years and you guys are still running and doing well. So how about we start from um, the company? What, what is Winnie? How do you came? How it came to be? How you started it? And and then we take it from there. Yes. So Winnie is a child care marketplace. We help parents find daycare and preschool and other forms of care and education. We started back in 2016. So it's been seven and a half years now. So we've had like many big and small crises over the course of running the business, uh, some bigger than others. Uh, so we're, we're pretty well versed in crisis now. Uh, but, um, yeah, we kind of set out to help parents and, uh, ended up building a childcare marketplace, which feels really obvious in retrospect. Um, it turns out the most important thing that parents need help with is, is finding childcare, especially working parents. Um, and it is still seven and a half years later, a, a unsolved problem, but we've been chipping away at it and making some good progress. We now have, you know, millions of families who have found childcare through Winnie, um, and millions of child care providers, sorry, hundreds of thousands of child care providers who we've helped, um, who are listed on our platform, and we've helped get enrollments. That's amazing. And I can imagine it's, uh, to a large extent, hyper-local and requires a lot of vetting and so on. Yes, uh, the search is hyper-local. It's also very specific. You know, some parents are looking for a Spanish immersion preschool and others care mostly yeah. about the price and the hours. And so um, really all the kind of filters and data that we collect on Winnie is super important for finding parents the right match of what they're looking for. Yeah. Well, you know, TrueML has been around for a decade. So I, I definitely yes. relate to your uh, chipping away at the big problem. Yeah. So so let's let's talk about um, the, the crisis that you're here to talk about today. Kind of set up the the stage for us. When when does it happen? How did you find out? Kind of what's going on? Yeah. So the very first crisis we faced was actually just months after starting the company and raising our first initial like pre-seed funding. Mm -hmm. We had just uh, taken a little bit of funding. We hired our first two employees. We were kind of off to the races, um, and I, you know, felt comfortable sort of quitting my job and you know, earning that very, very low or no startup salary in the very beginning yeah. because I was married and I had a husband and he worked at Google at the time and uh, was doing great there. And so um, even though I had a brand new uh, baby um, mm -hmm. and was a new parent, it actually didn't feel all that risky to start a company because, you know, we had a breadwinner. 
Um, but yeah. shortly after starting the company, uh, my husband was diagnosed with a pretty aggressive form of cancer. Uh, and that was a really scary time because it kind of came out of nowhere. It came on really quickly. Um, and uh, I, we, in the very beginning, didn't really know what the treatment would entail um, and how sick he would be. Um, and, you know, even whether he was going to survive or not. And spoiler alert, he's, he's still with us today and, and doing well. Um, but it was really scary at the time. And I think had I not you know, just raised some money and just hired two employees, I probably would have put the startup on pause and said, you know, let's do this another time. But I felt this like tremendous responsibility. I just kind of made two people quit their jobs to work for me. Um, And they trusted me. And I had just taken money from investors who were, you know, investing in my company instead of other companies. And I really felt a responsibility to them to figure out how to make this work, but at the same time, responsibility to my husband and my new baby to like keep him alive and make him better. Um, And so I was really, uh, it was really a crisis for me of like what to do and how do I do both things um, during this kind of like really scary period. Yeah. So how did you approach this? Because, you know, we believe at least in the startup world and the myth of the founder and the founder has to be involved in everything. And especially in that stage, I would even say it's not a myth, right? I mean, it's only us and a handful of people. How do you balance? How do you, how do you find maybe even the capacity to trust other people to execute on your vision while you have to deal with, with family and with life? Yeah. So in the sort of earliest days, I just kind of signed offline and, and took off work. Um, And that was like an especially important time for me to be helping my husband because the very beginning part of cancer is all about, you know, figuring out what kind of cancer you have so you can get the right treatment. And that was not obvious from the beginning. There were different doctors who disagreed on even the kind of cancer he had, which would have changed the course of his treatment plan. Um, So I really needed to focus on him. I actually like there was a, a day when I had actually brought in my car, his tonsil sample from one pathology lab to another, uh, because it was going to be faster and better for me to transport it uh, than to get it officially transported. I was bringing it from UCSF to Stanford. Um, It's really scary to like drive with a uh, human like sample in your car. Like (laughs) can't mess it up. I can imagine. Um, But I really needed to focus on him and it was, you know, it's, it was harder than, than running a company to sort of like figure out the medical system and navigate that. And that is a full-time job. And by the way, I had a brand new baby too at the time. (laughs) So there was, there was no time for Winnie at that point. Um, But a good friend who uh, is also a VC, um, not an investor in my company kind of told me like, look, you don't have to make a decision right now. Just focus on what's most important right now, which is, you know, Eric and helping him get the right treatment and worry about the company later. Just don't even think about it right now. And so I really took that advice to heart. And two weeks later, when I finally had like the kind of brain space to be able to log back into Slack and talk to my co-founder again, I had discovered that the team was ready to ship our first version of the app. Wow. (laughs) 
they just built the whole thing um, and like had it queued up and ready to like send to the app store. Um, and they were like, you know, cool if we go ahead with this. <laughs> and, uh, That's really awesome. Realized even with a team, which was just at the time, the two people we hired and my co-founder and me, um, it was possible for one person to completely step away. Like there were still three other really talented people who yeah. could get stuff done. Um, and that was the kind of moment I realized, like, I actually could do both. I, I might not be able to do everything exactly my way and perfectly with the company um, during this time period, but it wasn't necessary to shut it down. Everyone was making possibly even better progress without me. Um, <laughs> and I could kind of do what I was capable of, which, you know, it ended up once he got on a good treatment plan and we decided, you know, what kind of cancer he actually had. Um, he was really sick for the next six months and on mm -hmm. chemo and um, unable to work, but I wasn't. And so, you know, it was very possible for me to do my job at Winnie and um, I had, you know, great people helping me, but, uh, yeah. you know, with his care and all of that, but, you know, I wasn't the sick one. And so, you know, it wasn't as much of a crisis. He always is like, Sarah, you had it really easy. Why do you, why do you even talk? About that? <laughs> um, it was, it was very stressful. It for doesn't me. sound, doesn't sound easy at all. Did, it, did it change? Can I ask you, did it change like your relationship with the founder journey? Like, did you think, oh, it's going to be one way. And then it was very different from day one. Did it make you I mean, yeah. it's kind of a counterfactual, but like, did it make you feel like, oh, actually, I can step away? I know, I know, I know from your Twitter feed. We don't know each other personally, but I know from your Twitter feed, you have at least, I think, three kids, yes. right? And you, yeah. you had two other pregnancies uh, while running the company. How did yeah. that go? Yeah, so that's exactly right. Like, it was sort of, I mean, the cancer wasn't a blessing in disguise, but the fact that I had this kind of crisis in the beginning where I had to step away from the company ended up really setting the tone for how we built the business and built the culture yep. at Winnie. Um, and we decided to build things in a way that it wouldn't be so reliant on any one person and that Interesting. could have anyone, whether it was a founder or an employee, step away, you know, take parental leave, take sick leave, take a vacation. Um, and we would still be able to go on and hit our goals. And so we, we ended up building the company like that from the get go. And I, and, that's still our very much our culture today. Um, so say more, was, say more about that because they know this is like yeah. counter to the old. You know, everybody's critical. Everybody has to grind. I don't know, hundred hours per week uh, ethos that that we're surrounded by. How did you build a company this way? Yeah, so startups, as you know, are you know they're a long long haul, um, yeah. and to be doing this for seven and a half years, like you have to pace yourself. And a lot of people do grind really hard, but then they burn mm -hmm. out. They have to like sell their company early before they, you know, realized all the value. And and yep. they they might, you know, those still may be success stories in the press, but is it really a success if you sold your company before you grew it to its full potential? Um, or worse, you know, your company folded and you had to, you know, do something else. Um, it, so we've had the philosophy that like, to be successful, we're going to be working at this for 10 plus years. And so what is the the place we want to work for that time period? Um, and I think that has been what has enabled us to keep going, to keep doing this for so long, keep building the value of the business. 
Um, and, you know, doing this like during our childbearing years, like yep. we, we didn't, it, it, you know, I was, I was what, 30 when I started the company mm-hmm. and now I'm 38 and, you know, this was my, your thirties are when you have kids for many people. And so um, if I didn't build this in a way where I could actually have children and raise them during this time period, I think I would be living with a lot of regret uh, afterwards. Absolutely. So this raises an adjacent question. Uh, You were talking about a friend who was a VC, not an investor in your company, advising you to step away, take care of your family, take care of your husband, uh, and then come back to the company. And now you're talking about uh, working on companies for the long haul, really tapping into the big opportunity, which 100% agree with you, same boat and so on. How do you set those expectations with your actual investors in the company? And basically saying, listen, guys, this is a big one. Right? It's not going to be easy to figure it out. Plus, I don't want my team to burn out. I'm working with great people. How do we have that conversation? Is it is it before they make an investment? Is it an ongoing process? How did you approach that? Um. We sort of haven't ever. Uh, I mean, part of <laughs> okay. it, I mean, there's some self-selection, obviously. Like we're mm-hmm. very public and authentic about, you know, our values. And I think anyone who was turned off by that, like probably that, you know, mm-hmm. Coinbase CEO who was like, "We are mission driven. We never care about social issues," would have like read our blog and been like, "Wow, they're posting about social issues. They're, you know, not someone I'm interested in." Yep. Um, because we do take a stance on, you know, issues that impact parents, which is many social issues. So mm-hmm. I think uh, investors that are not aligned with our values of helping families thrive and helping children thrive probably wouldn't be, you know, interested in talking to us in the first place. Yes. But we never did explicitly say or like seek approval from our investors, like, we're going to give people unlimited vacation. Do you think that's a good idea? We just kind of always have. Um, And I think we've attracted very mission aligned investors who, you know, believe in what we're doing and also trust us to run the company. And really, you know, the proof is in the pudding. It's like, are we hitting our goals? Um, Are we, you know, fighting, living to fight another day and, whatever the next milestone is, whether it's a next round of funding or revenue milestones, you know, as long as we're doing that, they're pretty hands off about how we run the business internally. Yeah. But you're raising a very important point, which is basically, it may sound trite, but it's true. You're being authentic, right? You're basically saying, this is what I'm doing. This is my plan. This is my, this is my long arc of entrepreneurship. And, uh, and, and people can self-select into it. Yeah. Right. To me, that's um, I identify with that very much. I think that uh, this is this is what entrepreneurship is about. It's a form of self-expression that can be to a certain extent very authentic. And if you lean into it, you find people who are in there with you for the journey. That's true. I think that's that has really served us. The fact that we are so transparent about what, what we're all about. That's awesome. Okay, so. What's, what would be your advice for people? I mean, I think people have picked up stuff, but if you work at the kind of um, highlight, what would be your advice for people going through this type of um, 
this type of crisis, right? A personal life conflict with company. Maybe they didn't think about it in advance, right? Maybe it wasn't a, a, a seminal event in the first few months of their company. Maybe it's three years in. Uh, how would you suggest that they think about that? Yeah, I mean, the the most important thing I've found, and not just with the initial crisis, but also, you know, later as we faced other moments that have felt like, you know, it was life or death for the business is mm-hmm. just, you know, how do you solve the problem at hand? Um, even just like really uh, recent thing was like the SVB banking crisis. And we lost access to all of it. We had all of our money with SVB at the wow. time. Um, so we lost access to all of our funds over the course of that weekend and we couldn't pay bills, all our credit cards shut off. Um, we couldn't make payroll. Um, and really that was a moment that actually didn't feel quite so stressful because I was just like, okay, what's the next step? The next step is making payroll. Like that's probably the most important thing is like, I have all these employees I have to pay. Um, how do I get, you know, how much money do I need to make payroll and how do I get that money? <laughs> and Okay, it's it's a lot of money. Uh, probably not something I can just come up with out of my own bank account now. Um, I have to email people who have a lot of money. Those are investors. <laughs> and I have to tell them what the problem is. And I need a loan and I'll pay it right back. And, you know, it was just what is the next step here? And trying not to think too far ahead in terms of like, well, what if we never get access to our money? And what if we're, you know, starting from zero dollars um, and just like, okay, what do we need to do next? Uh, and then all these other things we can figure out later and kind of like the the cancer situation. It was like, well, mm-hmm. I don't need to make a decision right now to close down the business. I can literally just work on my husband's health and like focus on that. And then later, like, let's defer the decision. I have plenty of money in the bank. I just raised money. I can defer the decision on whether I want to keep going with this company. Um, and it turns out sometimes like deferring the, the decisions that seem really, uh, scary and unwieldy and, you know, the, that are further down the road, like you actually end up figuring it all out before you have to make that call. Yeah. hundred percent. I sometimes tell myself and others that every week I have this crisis that's going to kill the company. And every week, I also have the crisis from last week that's actually not going to kill the company. <laughs> so just take take a few days, right? Uh, just to change. It's true. It's like I, I will have, um, you know, a call with the team or we'll discover a bug and I'll be like, oh, my God, how could this have happened? This is horrible. And then, you know, you fix it and you, you know, move past it and you move on to the next thing. And there's very few things that are are really all that catastrophic. Yeah. Interesting. So we went from uh, cancer diagnosis to taking taking a step away from the business to being authentic about how you run your company to, uh, well, productive procrastination, I guess, a yeah. little bit. So a lot of lessons from this conversation. Thank you. This has been great. Thank you. So, uh, so this was... Sarah Moskov from from Winnie, and this was another episode of the War Room, a podcast about successful companies and executives and their oh shit crisis uh, that they recovered from. Thank you, thanks again uh, for listening, and uh, see you in a future episode.